the woman persecuted in our text is Revelation chapter 12, verses 13 through 17. Do you at times feel exhausted, feeling drained, beat down? Now, many of us use words like tired, sleepy, and fatigued interchangeably. But there is a subtle difference between those words. Fatigued. You're fatigued like if you run a marathon or you've been working all day and you're fatigued because you feel like you just can't get to the car or you just can't go inside the house. Ever feel that tired? You've been out working, especially in a Texas heat, possibly doing yard work and you're so fatigued you feel like I can, I can barely walk in the door and sit on the couch. I am so tired. Now, being sleepy is when you cannot keep your eyes open. You try very hard to keep your eyes open. That happens to me sometimes when I'm driving. I get so sleepy, I can barely keep my eyes open. And as I thought about this, I came across this little tidbit. One of the biggest barriers to sleep is stress and anxiety. Many find themselves in a state of mentally hyperarousal. What's that mean? You're thinking about the past. You just you think about the day and everything you did, second guessing yourself. <laughs> I'm getting a look right now. Second guessing yourself and you're catastrophizing the future. In other words, you're thinking of the future that everything's going to go wrong, it's going to be a catastrophe, every situation that's coming up could be a possible catastrophe. So you find yourself your brain just keeps going and you cannot Shut it down. Now, according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, being deprived of sleep is at epidemic proportions. So many people are affected by not getting a proper amount of sleep. Now, God created you to sleep for a healthy life. We need anywhere between seven to eight hours of sleep a day. Sleep is an act of faith of Lord's protection. In other words, in Psalm chapter 4, verse 8, In peace I will both lie down and sleep for you alone, O Lord, make me to dwell in safety. Why I mention all this about sleep? Because when you're tired, you're fatigued, and you're not getting the rest that you need, you become irritable, cranky, and you have a tendency to do things and to say things that normally you wouldn't do. So we need sleep. But let me ask you something similar but a little different. Do you feel like you're not making a difference sometimes? You're not really making an impact? You feel like you're stuck in the uh, bar ditch, so to speak, and you're just spinning your wheels? You seem as though no matter how hard you try, you're not having any influence and sometimes you feel like giving up. Let me ask you something. Have you forgotten what or who you're wrestling against? Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 12. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, 
against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. We have an enemy that's operating 24-7. And he's going to use anything he can to trip you up, to make you fall, to make you stumble. One way we can protect ourselves is sleep, but more importantly, as Paul says in the book of Ephesians, we need to daily put on that armor of God so that we can stand strong. You must do that. And with this all being said, let's go back to the text. Give attention this morning. Look at verse 13. When the dragon saw that he was thrown or cast down to the earth, who's the dragon? We found out earlier when we left off Revelation, oh, back in, I think, November sometime of last year, the dragon is Satan. Look back at verse 9. So when he finds out that he's cast down to earth, he persecutes the woman who gave birth to the male child. So now he pursues the woman who gave birth to the child, which begs the question, well, who is the woman? Who does she represent? The woman represents Israel, and Israel is the nation, the people from whom the Messiah came. So now he's been thrown down to heaven. He can't do anything to God. His accusations to the throne of God do not mean anything anymore. So now he turns his attention to Israel to persecute her. Now, bear with me. The world's core Jewish population, what do I mean by that? Those who identify themselves as Jews above, every, above everything else. Now, in the year 2020... The population of Jewish people in, on the planet was 15 million. That's 0.2% of the 8 billion worldwide population. The land has a total area of 8,521 miles, square miles, excuse me, and 169.9 miles of coastland. Now think on this. You know how big the state of Texas is, right? Israel would only take up 3.24% of the land mass here in Texas. That's how small it is. Texas, you may have found different numbers. Estimated population in our state, 25.1 million, maybe 26 million. Which is 16.2 million less than the population of Israel. Did you hear what I just said? We have 16 million people less in this state, and yet we're three times, five times as big as the state of Israel. And here's the map. You see Israel up there underneath Lebanon. My point being, the nation and geographical entity that's called Israel is a small piece of real estate. And this population only makes up roughly 0.2% of the population. Now, in spite of all this, Israel has been the object of almost worldwide opposition. Countries who have tempted to be her allies, such as the United Kingdom, ourselves, the United States, have discovered the general anti-Semitic hatred of Israel. Israel extends quickly to other nations. Think about this for a second. The Jews have been the subject of hatred for a long, long time in history. Why is that? Look at the text. Satan has put in the hearts of people to hate Jews and to pursue them. His ancient hatred, opposition, and hostility for God, for God's purposes and redemption, is now turned towards every person 
or entity chosen by God who had a part to play in that redemption or plan. And what I'm telling you, the dragon is turning his attention to the woman because it's from woman, Israel, that the Messiah is born. And that's where he turns his attention to. That's one. We'll get to the other in a moment. He has chosen Israel as the object of his wrath because he cannot launch a successful assault against God. Now look back in verse 14. But the two wings of the great eagle were given to the woman. I'm going to stop right there. There's a lot of different places and places people go with this. Some say the eagle because that's our national symbol could be referring to the United States. I'm not even going to go there. I'll just let you know it's out there. I would encourage you to go look at what other people say for your own study purposes. But all I would say is this. Although how this actually takes place is not stated in the text or a price, precise location given, it reminds me of the Old Testament where God's protection and deliverance is likened to an eagle who carried Israel to safety. Exodus chapter 19, verse 4. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Some try to find a historical counterpart how this event will take place, but here's the point. However it happens, whatever the precise details are, God is behind it. That's why I want you to know that God's behind taking care of her. There is some kind of supernatural care and deliverance that God will provide. Look back in verse 14. Where she will be nourished for a time and times and half a time. Well, time is singular, refers to one unit or one year. Time is plural, times, refers to two. And then you have half a time, which would be half a year. So most of the scholars would say this is for the three, last three and a half years of the tribulation. Could be referring to the 144,000. Some people say that. But here's the point that the text is making. God is going to deliver her from that. You get that. And you can see the reference to the tribulation in Daniel chapter 7, 25, and in Daniel chapter 12, verse 7. So in verse first, first, excuse me, verse 15, the serpent poured water out like a river out of his mouth. Now, to interpret exactly what this means, precisely what it means, seems almost impossible. Figuratively, it probably refers to Satan's all-out effort to destroy the nation of Israel. The anti-Semitism that happened then is still, exists, still happening today. But look in verse 16. The earth helped the woman, opened his mouth, and drank up the river. Now, perhaps this is referring to the terrain around Israel. It's unpopulated, it's rock, has a lot of rocks, and it's very, uh, has a lot of mountains. Provide many places for people who are fleeing. Provides places of refuge. In other words, this is the way the earth will protect us. But once again, the jury is out exactly what that means. But once again, it's God doing it all. What I want to really point your attention to this morning, he's persecuting the woman, but he also says that the dragon was enraged or he's furious. And he went off to make war with the rest of her children. Well, who is that? 
Well, he qualifies it. Look at verse 17. Her children are defined as those who keep the commandments of God. Furthermore, they hold to the testimony of Jesus. That's interesting. Why? Is it proper to see the Christian faith in some sense the offspring of Judaism? I would say yes. Because it's really a fulfillment made way back in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, made to Abraham. And I will bless those who bless you, and the ones who curse you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. And we see the fruitation of that through the Messiah, through Christ. Because through him all the nations, all the families of the earth are blessed. You see where this text is going. Jesus was Jewish. He's a Jewish Messiah. Therefore, the dragon seeks not only the demise of the woman, but those who are recipients of the goodness and mercy of God through her. In other words, the dragon is so enraged and frustrated over his inability to wipe out the woman Israel, he will become particularly angry with the believing remnant. Those who would turn to Jesus Christ, believe the word, and stand ready to die for their faith in the Savior. Who is that? Take a look around. That's us. Because we are recipients of God's goodness and his mercy. How many people in this room, or how many people watching us, have turned to Christ as their Lord and Savior and professed his name? That wasn't a rhetorical question. How many of us have done that? So, the dragon, Satan, is now not only persecuting Israel, because that's from whom the, uh, the Messiah came, but now he's also particularly angry with us because we're following the Messiah. He cannot do anything to God the Father. So now he's turning everything he can against those who follow him, which goes back full circle, back to Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 12. Can you see that big circle? Now we circle back around and say, aha! What we're experiencing is persecution from the enemy. Why do you think there's so much division and hatred? He is trying to stir things up unless we put on the full armor of God by praying and reading his word, we're going to be at the mercy of what he's doing. Ladies and gentlemen, dearly beloved, we have to put on that full armor of God or we're going to succumb to his ways. If we want... To see this revival or spiritual awakening that's happening in pockets of our country to happen here, then it begins here and now. We need to let go of all our preconceived notions and ideas, look to the Word and the Word alone, and cry out to God. And right now, He is telling you to do something that you really don't want to do because you think it's going to embarrass you or make you look uh, dumb in some ways, but God is wanting you to move. He is wanting you to do that because... He wants to pour out his spirit. He wants to see that happen here. But the biggest obstacle to it all is not Satan, it's us. Because we believe the lies that he propagates towards us. We don't listen to the voice of truth. And at the end of the service, we make negative comments. The music was too loud. I didn't like this music. I didn't like the preaching. I didn't like that text. The whole time we're missing the opportunity to experience God in a fresh way. And to hear his voice and to see him move. Every 
time that we meet and we miss it. He is turning his wrath against the church. The church is not some building. The church is much bigger, bigger than one denomination. It's made up of everybody who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ. Who has followed him, professed him, followed obedience and baptism. And so oftentimes we miss it. Chapter 12 gives us a panoramic view of the angelic conflict, the supernatural forces of darkness that are ever at work in the world. They have been doing this since the fall of Satan when, when he drew a host of angels with him to follow him rather than God. This is a fact of human history. We don't see it with our physical eyes, but dearly beloved, there is a spiritual warfare going on even as, as I speak. Now the war has been won cross of Christ, but there is a battle being waged, and right now in this room, it is waging more hotter and furious than out there. You know why? Because God wants to do something different in your life. He wants to remake your heart. He wants to draw you closer to him, and Satan's going to pull every stop he can to make you think that you can't do it. Every excuse in the book, I'm too dumb, I've done too many things wrong, you don't know where I've been. God loves you in spite of what he knows about you. That's what we talked about last week. Don't listen to the voice of the enemy. We know Satan is headed for doom and destruction. His fate is, his fate is sealed. We have it backwards. Hell is not where Satan is going to dwell. Satan, Satan, hell was created for Satan and the fallen angels. He'll be in torment with everybody else. But he is so mad and so enraged that he wants to take as many of us with him. See, we have a choice. Praise God, we have a choice. Either we can sit back, be full of pride, and go straight to hell because we won't bow our knee to Jesus as Lord. End up paying the sin debt on our own by spending eternity in hell. Or we can humble ourselves, bend our knee, and decry, Jesus, you are Lord. We can have the victory, but it's only through Christ. Pull on the full armor of God. Resist Satan by drawing near to the Lord. Satan is a defeated foe. For whose days of freedom to create misery and pain and deception are numbered. If I was to ask you, well, I'm asking you now, what is your heart cry for Forsberg? What's deep inside of you even now you want to see happen? Do you know people that need to come to the saving knowledge of Christ? When's the last time we get down on our knees and we wept for God, saying, oh God, send me. I'm willing to go. When's the last time we got down on our knees and wept before God 
for the state of our country, for the leaders of our government, for all those. And this speaks to me so loud this morning. Things will not change until we break ourselves with repentance and confession and humbleness before God. Romans chapter 16, verse 20 says, The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. The God of peace, the one who alone can give peace with God, reconciliation, that's Christ. The peace of God, the peace that comforts hearts, and world peace, and then the turmoil that we see today in our strife-torn world. There's only one way we achieve true peace, lasting peace, and that's when Christ returns again. But I cannot emphasize enough, Satan is not going to give up without a fight. He doesn't mind if you come to church every Sunday and sing your songs and go out the door and go about your business. He doesn't want you to be on fire for God. He doesn't want you out there witnessing to others, not just by what you tell them, but by how you live your life. And as I'm reading Revelation, and I see the earthquakes that happened in Syria and Turkey, the Euphrates River's drying up. Now we see pockets of spiritual awakening start to happen. I'm telling you, dear beloved, I'm not a prophet, but I cannot help but think time is getting short. It could be in our lifetime that we hear that trumpet blow. Are you ready? Is your family ready? People you know. What an awful thing to think about passing people by every day. They don't know I'm a Christian. They don't know about Christ. I don't know. And God brings so many opportunities to us every single day to tell others. The text makes it clear. There is a spiritual battle going on. And if you read ahead about the beast of the sea, the beast of the earth, it says that he will be given power to overcome or conquer the saints. That's the reason now, dear beloved, we need to be strong in our faith. We need to know not only what we believe, by why, but why we believe it. I believe time is short. Whatever God is moving you to do in this moment, I would invite you to do it. No one's going to laugh at you. No one's going to make you feel... Uh, weird or anything like that, you do what God wants you to do. Do you want revival to happen? Now, I can't, we can't manipulate God. Don't misunderstand me. But it really begins here. Because revival is for the people of God. To spur that flame on that spark. I think we've seen tremors of it, sparks of it here already. 
But I think the biggest one's yet to come. It's open. Invitation is given. I'll pray with you. You come up here. You go across. Y'all, whatever it is. But please, I beg of you. I implore you. Do not let this moment go by without doing what God is telling you to do in this moment. I will quote the words of Dr. Hemphill. I've said this before. It was right after. It was all 9-11 that day. And we all went to chapel. This is what he said. Quote, Time is too short and conditions are too extreme to carry on with business as usual. End of quote. That is, is has a meaning today just as it did back in 2001. We got to seek God. We have to. We need him. We cannot do this without him. What are you going to do? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. Oh God, we pray for your protection. Help us to let go and to follow you with everything that we are. Break us of our pride. May each of us come humbly before you this morning. Father, our desire is to see your spirit poured out. We know that will not happen. we have sin in our life. Father, forgive us as individuals and as a church. For not following you and letting our pride get in the way. May your spirit continue to move in this moment. And may we respond in obedience to